Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers, leaders, and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master. Listen and get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and this is where product leaders and managers make their move to product masters. Learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence, so you'll create those products that customers love. Now, do you have a good idea for a product? As an everyday innovator, I'd say the chances are pretty good that you do. And have you ever thought about developing it yourself? Or you might think about joining forces, say, with the company you work with. Maybe they'd be interested. Another option, and what turns out to be a very profitable option, is to license it. To explore licensing from the perspective of the everyday innovator with a good product idea, or from the company's perspective that is being pitched, the company that might be interested in taking the licensing and running with that, this is a discussion for you. And even if licensing is not something you see in your future, I think you'll find this an interesting discussion. It's with Stephen Key, the world's leading expert in licensing consumer product ideas. He is a repeated inventor, holder of numerous patents, and coach to people wanting help to license their product ideas. And remember, if you hear anything that you want to go back to, or you just want an easy way to share these insights with others, we take notes for you. That makes it really easy to share the information or go back and reference. And also, there's a bonus question in the summary that we don't address in the audio here. So go check out the notes to get that bonus question. And that question that I asked Stephen is, Let's say you have a company interested in a licensing deal. When can things blow up with that? He had some really useful insights for that, but it's only in the summary, and that's at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 267. Now, on to the discussion. Stephen, thanks for joining the Everyday Innovators. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's a great pleasure to talk with you. You have been involved in so many different inventions and helping others with inventions as well. And you're known as the expert in the world for licensing consumer products. I'm curious just about maybe you have some interesting things in your background there for people that are watching the video. Maybe a product or two that you've been associated with that stands out that you're proud of. Well, I started out in the toy industry and the novelty gift industry. So I think Starting out, my one of my very favorites would be my Michael Jordan wall ball, which I think you can see in the back. And I love playing basketball. I've always been very tall. And I bought this indoor Nerf basketball game to just to have fun. And I noticed it had a square backboard. It was so boring. And I loved Michael Jordan. So I just took a poster of Michael Jordan and pasted it to the back of the backboard. And I loved it. And I loved it so much, I sent it off to a toy company, Ohio Art, that had the license of Michael Jordan. And they loved it, too. And then it sold. I was able to license that concept, which is basically just letting them take it to market for me. We'll talk a little bit about that, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And it sold for 10 years. I collected royalties on such a simple idea. So that's my favorite in that area. And then I've done other products that that I think are really inventions. Mm-hmm. And that was a rotating label that would add additional information on a label that would be important for parents to dose their children correctly. Hmm. Was this printing like direct to a bottle or? Well, I had read an article. I read an article where there wasn't enough information on labels. Mm-hmm. And I had a toy, a cup and canteen that was selling at all the Disney stores that it was just a fun gimmick on a toy. And it had two shells. It had a, 
a cup and then have a shell over the top. And if you spun the, the shell over the top and had a little window, it would reveal all the information down below. Hmm. And when I read that article, I thought, well, why couldn't that be a label? Because it would increase this label space 75%. So I, I switched gears, jumped over in the packaging industry and came up with a rotating label and we sold hundreds of millions of labels. And it was just, it was actually a real invention. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it provided that space and the product I was most proud of, it, it provided parents with the information to dose their children correctly by, by the weight of the child, not by the age. Hmm. And that was for cough medicine and things like that. What I love about that example is the inspiration from a completely different domain, right? That this toy you saw, and then taking that to a, a new domain that had a, a problem that could be solved through that technique. Well, when I read the article, I jumped up and I looked over at my wife and I said, I've got an invention. <laughs> she was like, what? Because before that, my ideas were just kind of fun. And, and she said, well, are you sure? And I went down to the local print shop and I made that sample that day and brought it home. And she looked at it and she said, I think you might have something. Awesome. So, that you never know moment. What- well, you never know where inspiration strikes. And it almost never strikes. First, the lone wolf is kind of rare in companies, right? We'll talk about that some too. But it almost never strikes in void of other things, right? That article and your previous experience is what brought things together. I think most creative people are just curious. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're a collector of, of images and things that they draw upon later. And I, I'm still curious today. So. Yep. It's amazing how you can connect those things. Curiosity is a good thing. Let's talk about your latest book. This is titled Become a Professional Inventor, The Insider's Guide to Companies Looking for Ideas. Who did you write this book for? Well, I wrote, first of all, I wrote this first book called One Simple Idea. And it just outlined a way that any creative person could license their idea to a company without starting a business without filing expensive patents or building expensive prototypes. I created this process for myself, Chad, because I'm a pretty simple guy and I didn't really have a lot of skills. And I just didn't think the book would do that well. And it really built an audience. But I know after all these years and listening to people that have read it and some of the struggles that I needed to pull back the curtain even further. Hmm. I gave them a, a first roadmap they were in the game of licensing ideas and it was working, but what was happening, the questions they were asking, what happens behind the scenes? So I wrote it from the position of I'm an inventor, creative person. I'm working with companies that are looking for ideas. This book is like, it really peels back the curtain because I interviewed 28 different industry experts in 17 different categories and that would include product managers, CEOs, people that are involved in new product development within companies. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to hear from their perspective how to work with them. I wanted to hear what we were doing right, what we were doing wrong. So my audience now could be better innovators mm-hmm. and they could understand the inner workings of a company so they don't drive those product managers crazy as you know, with their asking for too much or not giving them the right information. So it's really for anybody that wants to be creative, that wants to take it to another level to understand what's happening behind the scenes. 
Yeah, I don't know even where you intercept some of this. Like when you gave the example before of the Michael Jordan, you know, simple backboard, first thought would come to most people's minds, I think, is, well, clearly that image is licensed and not available. How did you even figure out who had that license to go to? Well, when I when I went down to, I wanted an indoor basketball game to play with as I was coming up with ideas. So I went down to Toys R Us and I, I picked up one from Ohio Art. Hmm. And it was a typical kind of a Nerf indoor basketball game. It had a square backboard and had a little picture of Michael Jordan. It was really teeny, and it was it was actually in two colors. It was terrible. And I love Michael Jordan. He was my hero. So I thought, no, he needs to be bigger. So mm-hmm. I just went down, bought a poster, put it up there, and it, it changed the positioning. It leveraged that intellectual property that they had licensed for Michael Jordan, his image. It leveraged that now. And that's how you found it, because you found that image on another toy. And like, okay, they must have the license. Okay. That makes I sense. just thought if they had the license, it was going to be really easy. And that's, I'm glad you asked that question. But they had the license, and they were selling product with Michael Jordan's image. I was curious about that. Let's talk about that. Where do we start in this process? And let's pull out some ideas from your new book here. So if someone's listening, and there's kind of two perspectives here, you know, we're inside the larger company, and maybe someone's coming to us with an idea to license. Maybe we have something and it makes more sense for us to license to another group. And very possibly, there's many product managers who have their own interest and the side gig they're working on or something they're trying to develop, and they want help to figure out what to do with this next where do we start? And I don't know if there's an example that you want to kind of walk us through. That would be, be great. But where do we start? Well, it's really quite simple. Everybody wants to complicate this topic, by the way. Okay. All right. And the traditional way would be I'm going to come up with this idea. I might file a patent, build a prototype, and start a company. See, that, that's the traditional way. But that's very expensive and time-consuming and very risky. So what I did was to look at it differently to let's see if we can sell the benefit first. Hmm. Because if I can sell the benefit first or get interest from the benefit of my invention, then maybe I will do the other parts of it. So we, I just flipped it. And it then allowed people to be very creative and, and not get just tied up with some of the other stuff that slows you down. So my philosophy is, if you look at it that way, anybody can do it now because there's no barriers. There's no barriers to anyone. You can live anywhere. You don't have to have the finances or even the expertise in all these other areas. You have to sell the benefit first. So getting back to your question, how do you do that? How do you know? Because I know there's a lot of people that are listening that have ideas and they just don't know. Who knows? It's impossible to know. The only way to test that is in my world, when you're creative and you want to find a company that's looking for ideas, is to put together a one-page advertisement. It's a sell sheet. Here's my product. Here's the benefit. I'll give you an example. When Steve Jobs launched the iPod, his one-line benefit statement or his value proposition was, how would you like to have a thousand songs in your pocket? Holy smokes. You don't have to show the prototype. You don't even have to show how it works. Would you like that? Yes, I do. That's a green light. Right. Okay. So once you understand that principle, it allows anybody now to embrace that and go, gee, all I need is have a good idea with a strong benefit and show it to someone that thinks their audience would appreciate that product. Mm-hmm. So the first step is really determine if you have a marketable idea and do that with the sell sheet. Yes. 
Okay, so product managers are, are all about that. We're, we're pretty good at figuring that out um, and putting together you know, that one page. All that catchy line that is, you know, simple, direct, effective. Of that part's not easy. <laughs> it sounds easy. It's not easy. <laughs> right. You know, it's something that people connect to. Because uh, I'm sure the, the first several versions of that were a whole lot more complicated than what they ended up well, with, right? Yeah, that's really what I try to explain to everybody. If you look at it this way, take all the features and add them up. Mm-hmm. And what's the benefit? Mm-hmm. Right. Make it emotional. Make it short. Make it sweet. And it's and then give it to a friend that doesn't know your idea and look at their facial expression if they get it. It's really pretty easy to test it. But no one has that crystal ball, right? Right. And you're right. You have to get feedback and test and figure out what's going on. Yeah, that's why I think if you have that video, a one-minute video or a sell sheet, show it to a buyer. They know their audience pretty well. I'm interrupting the discussion just for a moment to tell you about a really interesting experience I had recently at a professional conference for product managers and innovators, the annual PDMA conference. Now, it was a great experience because I got to help so many people. And one form of this was several times a person that I helped in the past, they came to find me. They sought me out to introduce me to someone else that they were talking to someone that wanted to mentor their product managers to help them perform at a higher level. They recognize how important product development and management is to the success of their work and the organization. And they talk about this in terms of the increased pressures that they have. We all recognize this as product people. Wanting to create products that customers love, that's what everyday innovators are all about, we get that. But also products that meet revenue and profit expectations, we have to do that. And that can be delivered more quickly, decreasing time to market. That's a lot of needs to deliver on, and that's exactly what I help organizations do. And I have an excellent mentoring system for groups of product managers. It's called the Rapid Product Mastery Experience, or for short, the RPM Experience. Kind of catchy, RPM Experience. If you lead product managers, or you are a product manager at a company with other product managers, the RPM Experience is how you can create a higher-performing product team. And I have a quick guide that tells you how the system works and the results it provides. And you'll find that at theeverydayinnovator.com slash RPM. It's helping other companies pull ahead of their competition and helping product managers work together better, enjoy their work more, and just be more effective. And I bet it can help you too. Check it out at theeverydayinnovator.com slash RPM. Let's say we're putting together that one sheet and now we're ready to approach companies that we think would have interest in this. As we're developing that one sheet, we're probably thinking about what is it that our prospective companies really want to know? What do we need to know about them as we're trying to formulate this? Well, that's a very good question. And that's what the book is really about too. Hmm. You have to look at a company, you have to look at their culture, their mission statement, their product line, the price point of their products, Look at their product reviews on Amazon. What are people saying about it? You're really trying to understand, but reading between the lines of what their mission is, because a lot of times it's not going to be that obvious. And that's why a lot of companies that are looking at ideas from the outside are getting bad submissions, because people aren't slowing down enough to really understand the business of that company. So I talk a lot about that. When you do target a company that might be a good fit, you really understand them and they appreciate that so much that you've done some homework that you know who they are, you know, their product line and you know, maybe where they're going. The only way to invent for the future is knowing where they've been in the past. 
So it really, it takes a little bit of time to understand a company's profile. Okay. So in that, you know, things I was thinking about that what, what I heard was maybe we identify a market they're trying to reach and you can align to that. Like that would be a key thing then on the one sheet for them. Like here's how you get into this new market. Or maybe they've got some product reviews that are really poor in some areas and you can connect to that. You know, here's how to improve that. That's the kind of homework you're talking about. Well, it's really interesting that what you said, because a lot of people think the same way. I'm going to show them an idea of market that they, they should go to. No, 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 no. Okay. Because you're asking them to take more risk, right? If I show them an opportunity, that takes a lot of time. That's a lot of risk involved to evaluate it. So hmm. we tell everybody, don't do that. If you have a product that's adjacent maybe to what they're doing, okay. But I believe the best way to work with companies, when you do understand their product line, how to make an improvement on those existing products, because there's already a market for it. They're already selling it. They're already manufacturing. They already have an audience. And they're looking for that new improved one, too, or how to expand the product line. So we try to teach our audience to become professional by really looking at it and go, where are they going from here? And if you read the reviews on Amazon or wherever you're going to get them, people love to complain, by the way. And those reviews or customer service complaints allows you to say, all right, what can we do to improve our existing product? To me, it's fairly simple. And then apply those creative tools that most creative people have to those problems. Okay. So keep this simpler than I was thinking, right? It's don't yes. make this grandiose. Help them with smaller, immediate things that they're addressing. So I think some product managers would be thinking, I, I certainly would be, well, the organization is surely already doing that. They're looking at these reviews. They know they have problems with this product and they're working on the next version already. I'll just be telling them something they already know. They probably already figured out the same thing that I figured out that I want to talk to them about. Well, I was able to interview the Intel's inventor of the year at Intel. And I asked him, how do you come up with new ideas? He says, we solve the problems our customer service people are having. So what I'm trying to explain to everybody, that's pretty logical. And you're probably doing that. When you open the doors to work with outside people, outside creative people, it changes everything. Their perspective changes. They're not in your organization, not in your culture. They don't go home at five o'clock. They don't get a paycheck. So they're going to be thinking differently. Mm-hmm. You need that. And there's no way you're going to teach that within your organization. I hate to say it. It's just hard to break people out of the box. Right. So when you look at the industry, such as the toy industry, that's been embracing open innovation for so long, Hasbro, 60% of their product portfolio has come from the outside So what I'm trying to explain to a lot of product developers, you have that advantage over in-house designers because designers create because of having recognition. It's not not a paycheck. It's this greater thing that you have to get it out. So Mm -hmm. that's why I want anybody that's listening to this to really consider opening your doors because you're going to see a whole different perspective, but you have to educate a little bit too. Yeah. Two key sides of that is the company who I was saying, you know, already because they're paying attention to what customer service is saying, they are already on a path to figure out this and make it better. They are also thinking the way that they have always thought. And that's just the way reality is. And so you as the outside person, you do have an advantage if you have an insight about how to make that better. It could very well be that that hasn't come up yet. 
And then the opposite's true for you're on the inside of the company trying to figure out how to make this better. You embracing some outside thoughts will help you think about the future in a different way than you probably are, right? Yeah, I, I think the companies that are very good at innovation are getting their input from a very diverse group of people. And I think that's proven once you bring people from different backgrounds, different perspectives, it, it changes it. So, and a lot of companies, I think, they're kind of locked into a certain, you know, culture of what's right and what's wrong. And I've got to play a certain way. Right. And, you know, so I, I think people from the outside don't have that, you know, don't have those types of restraints. Yeah. Yeah. A different perspective, a different way of looking at things. Yeah. And that's why I think open innovation, like I had mentioned, is outpacing every other way of coming up with ideas. Now it's mm-hmm. outpacing R and D it's outpacing crowdfunding it's a way to to really look at, but you, you have to be careful with it too. There's some downsides to it as well. Okay. But but if you're able to do that, who knows what you're going to see? Right. <laughs> and for anyone completely new to this, open innovation is a formal process of doing innovation, but it simply means you are going outside the resources, the boundary of the organization, and working with others to create something new. You're right. <laughs> Okay, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. Thank you. Because some people, there's a whole history of how this all started, but it, it's really interesting. But you're absolutely right. You're, you're looking outside your own walls. Mm-hmm. So back to you know the example at the beginning of the basketball game with Michael Jordan. The key question that is coming up as we've talked about through this is, well, when you go take this idea to the company, this rather simple thing, you just need to make the picture bigger and make it the, the back of the hoop. They're just going to say, oh, good idea. Thanks. There's huge intellectual property protection things that come up around this, and we can't do a deep dive into that, but just what are the basics of that? How do you approach this? Well, that's a great question because I get that all the time. Why don't they just take it? You know, why pay you? Well, we get to see at my company a lot of things that get licensed in all Mm -hmm. different industries. And I would say 95% of every idea that gets licensed to a company, there's no intellectual property. Now, a lot of people don't like to hear that. Patent attorneys don't particularly like to hear that, but that's the truth. It's really about selling first and selling fast, mm-hmm. about great customer service, about great distribution. Because intellectual property, although it sounds fantastic, and I'm a big patent holder, mm-hmm. and I have defended my patents in, in federal court against a little toy company, Lego, a couple years back, <laughs> I, I learned some really important lessons there. And I do yeah. write quite a bit about that topic. It's hard to own something. You want to. But it's really hard because Mm -hmm. patents are just words that can be interpreted by a judge, jury, or patent examiners. And today, the market's moving so quick, and there's so many different ways of selling product that it's really hard to protect anything. So those companies that have embraced open innovation know that. They know that it's not about keeping everybody out. Those companies need ideas. Now, if I'm going to work with outside inventors and I'm starting to take their ideas, they won't send them to me anymore. The store's closed. So it all depends on how you look at this. If you're a really big organization, a big, big company, a billion-dollar company, you're going to want intellectual property. And you can get it because you're big enough to enforce it, right? But even mm-hmm. enforcing it is throwing a lot of money at something that you might not be able to stop. Right. If Apple cannot enforce the iPhone, what chances do the rest of us have? So how do we deal with this fear, though? I mean, how did you deal with the fear of the toy company just making the picture bigger that they already own rights to instead of paying you for you they, know, some, some kind of license relationship? 
they were very upfront and very appreciative that I sent it to them. In fact, mm-hmm. they, they were so happy they sent me a contract three days later and there was no intellectual property whatsoever. They didn't even mention right. it. So they wanted to keep the door open and it wasn't about intellectual property to them. And I think it's not about that anymore. I think intellectual property, I think this fear that we all have, I don't think it's warranted anymore. Right. I think the world has changed. So I, I think it's all about good customer service. It's all about being on social media and talking about what you're doing, about being original, telling good stories. Right. I don't think it's about trying to chase somebody to sue them. So I think companies have looked at this and go, you know, most products have a short lifespan. And there's a lot of online sellers today on Amazon. Right. <laughs> okay, so why don't we just be nice? How's that? It sounds too good to be true, but I get to see it every single day. Which is super encouraging, I think, for everyone listening, that you get to see that every day. Because the fear here is, you know, I have a good idea, I bring it to a company, they're just going to you know, make well, it their own and never talk to me again. Well, the best thing to do is talk to them about their process. See if they work with outside inventors and always type in their name and type in complaints and lawsuits and see how they treat people. I mean, mm. do a little bit of homework here. Okay. But I can tell you, if you do find one that values inventors product developers and that's part of their culture they're going to treat you fantastic right good and and the other sentiment here and i think things like lean startup that movement has impacted this a lot but is that inventor the innovator that's coming up with something new that's keeping it quiet and a secret and doesn't want to tell anyone right and sometimes with my university professor hat on i'm teaching innovation management product management and a student will say well i'm actually working on this idea can i i want to use it for the assignment but i'm concerned someone else in the university might see it if you're concerned about that now you're probably not actually going to go anywhere with this idea because you need to be getting feedback from a lot of people about the idea and if you're protecting it that closely that's not going to happen I, I think you, you need to not be fearful, but careful. And understand what intellectual property is and what it isn't. So there's some wonderful tools that are very affordable. There's a provisional patent application. It's a great tool. There's copyrights and trademarks and design patents. And all these tools are used in different applications. Understand what they are. But realize who you're working with and who you're sharing it with, mm-hmm. right? Don't be naive there, right? I mean, mm-hmm. so do a little bit of homework, but don't be afraid of it. Work with good people that value what you're doing. File the intellectual property so you do have the option to take it further if you want to, and it does have value. Do all those things. But find like-minded individuals. I think there's some really wonderful people and companies out there that share the same vision. Mm -hmm. And just find those guys and the ones that don't, avoid them. Any quick tips on negotiating that license deal? I don't even know what the factors might be that you're negotiating or over. Well, yes, there's a lot to it, and it's very complicated, and there's all these different terms. Do not do it by yourself, right? And and I don't recommend bringing an attorney in either because once you lawyer up, they lawyer up. So that's not a good strategy either. Okay, so learn as much as you can about what a licensing agreement is. Find someone that has experience in negotiating a licensing agreement that can help you behind the scenes, and then don't ever sign one unless you have a licensing attorney review it because there's a lot to it. And even after 30 years of doing this, I'm still learning. We see one every single week for the last two years. That's how often I see licensing agreements. And it's still complicated. 
So you need help. Yes. Okay. Don't go it alone. Don't bring the attorney in in the beginning because that's just going to put everyone on the defensive and go down the wrong path. And once you do have an agreement, though, make sure a licensing attorney is reviewing it. Yeah. And you can do some things beforehand. I, I tell everybody, they always ask me, there's things that you can do before you get into a licensing agreement mm-hmm. that gives you strength and leverage. And that is IP, maybe mm-hmm. market demand, maybe um, one-line benefit statement, maybe understanding costs. There's all the stuff that you can do that you actually bring value to the table mm-hmm. that allows you to leverage a better licensing agreement. So it really happens at the very beginning. They think it's at the very end. No, your, your strength is way before you get that agreement. Yep, what you've built along the way, building from that sales page, the one pager. Yep. Good. Okay, lots of good insights, lots of more depth in your book. So we'll talk about how people can find out more about that in just a moment. But as listeners know, we love innovation quotes around here. And I asked you to share one with us and tell us why that one's important to you. What do you have for us? Well, I actually have two. And I think the most important is that you want to treat everyone with respect. Because if you're going to reach the top, you're going to need so many people underneath you to to help you, to rise you up there. It's just just part of life and knowing that. So treat everybody the same. Treat everybody with respect. You'll be surprised how many people you need. Also, my father gave me some great advice that I didn't quite recognize. He said, Steve, if you want to create great wealth, not that he had created great wealth himself, but he said to me, if you want to create great wealth, you have to find something that does not require your hands or your presence. Hmm. It has a multiplying effect. And that's what licensing is for me. And I didn't understand it until I was on a production line in China watching Teddy Ruxpin going by, which we sold 5 million Teddy Ruxpins, and the inventor was not there. And it dawned on me there. That's what my dad was telling me. That inventor had licensed it to a company, so his hands weren't involved, his presence. And every time he sold one, he got a royalty. It was the perfect example of, of what he was trying to explain. That's really good. One of the things my family loves doing is watching Shark Tank. And you hear these things some of the time talked about, right? And sometimes it's the business owner, the innovator who has the product and they're weighing that decision off like, well, but if I create the company myself, you know, I have this view of greatness in my future. Or if I give it to you to license, I'm only going to make, you know, a, a few cents on a dollar for each one. But it always, to me, sounds like the licensing deal is so much better. Well, you know what's interesting? Because I asked someone that. They said, Steve, you know, we're a $100 million company, and we work with inventors. And at the end of the day, we're very lucky to to walk away with a a 10% net at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And we're giving you 5% royalty. He goes, do the math. It's a pretty good chunk of that, isn't it? Why would you ever start a company? (laughs) Right. Yeah. If they already have distribution, they have production, they have customers – That all sounds like a really good thing because those are hard things to get. Well, it just takes a lot of time and expertise. And today I think it's about speed. And licensing gives that model for a lot of us that are very creative and maybe we don't have the resources or even the desire or experience to start a business. Yep, absolutely. Okay, your book, Become a Professional Inventor. How can people get their hands on that? And also just, you know, obviously you are the leading expert in licensing deals for consumer products. If people have a question, they have work they want to do, how can they find out more about you? First of all, the book will be on Amazon. You can find it there. I would highly recommend if you want to know or learn a little bit more about licensing, I have a YouTube channel called Invent Right TV. 
we want to invent right, not wrong, where we have close to 500 videos to how to license ideas. Great resource. It's wonderful, and we have a great community. Ask questions. We always try to get back to everybody. Good. So the book, Amazon, I'll make sure the link to that is in the show notes along with the YouTube link. And what about a website? My website is inventright.com. And you're going to see there's quite a bit of information there. They can also find me, my right for Forbes on intellectual property strategies. Mm-hmm. From a business perspective, I also write for Inc. and entrepreneur.com. Okay. So you can find me, Chatham, <laughs> everywhere. All right. <laughs> Just do a Google search, Stephen. Yes. King. Awesome. Well, Stephen, really appreciate the information. It's I think exciting to a lot of people that do product work because we already love creating products and creating something new, adding it to the world. To maybe think both in their work context, how can we bring in some more outside thoughts? And then maybe for their personal interests, I think I got something out there I might be able to license. And these are good resources for us to know about. It's amazing how many product managers we end up working with (laughs) because they're seeing it and I know they have their own ideas. So, Thank you very much for letting me share my my journey with you today. Thanks again for listening to The Everyday Innovator. You know this is where product leaders and managers make their move to product master, learning practical knowledge that lead to more influence and confidence so that you will create products customers love. Check out the written summary of everything we discussed and that special bonus question, which is where can things blow up during a licensing deal? Stephen has some really good insights on that. That summary is at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 267. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit theeverydayinnovator.com.